My organization doesn't have enough longevity to have stories. We are primarily an online community for teens, so it's tough to capture the stories of how we're impacting these young people. I'd like to create that pull on your heartstrings type of story. Any thoughts on how to tell the story of our impact when we don't even know our impact yet? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I'm sure you're not alone because I think anybody who's newer or has a certain type of program that's tougher to to have that longitudinal data, or even if if you don't measure your own impact, it's really hard to communicate it. So just off the top of my head, a few thoughts. You could, what do they always say it, that the best way to talk about how amazing you are and the impact is by having other people talk about it. So I guess I'm wondering, even though you may not have a lot of longevity, there is still room to ask the teams or to, to you know, maybe there's even an incentive to say, hey, you know, the, the first three people who are willing to share with us kind of the impact our, our online programming has had on you, like, like, here's what you get or and not that you even have to do that bribery, but just something that's like kind of an incentive or just to ask for the actual team users to share, hey, this is why I use this. This is like the difference it's made. And that's not going to necessarily share the impact you want, but it still is that personal testimony and story that I think um, is better than than nothing, right? I also think if you modeled your program after other organizations or other programs, or there's something similar and they have any reference data about the impact they've had, you can even talk about, here's where the genesis of our program came from we looked at these other models and here's some of the, the power of what they do. And that's what you need to help us build. Like that's what we're asking you to help us build and, and help us work toward that impact. So then you can share others success and impact, but that that is very crystal, you know, that's a focus. That's something you're being intentionally focused on. And, you know, are there other people, I don't know if, I don't know enough about your program to, to know, are there other audiences um, th that are even connected to those teams that you would have access to? Um, do you have an online manager that sees sort of the engagement levels that are going up or sees the kinds of magic that's happening through the online program? Maybe it's a staff member uh, so, so there's a lot of variables because I don't know the details of your program, but I do think there's workarounds that can still help you to share this is the difference we're making and, and not do it from kind of this inauthentic way that you feel insincere because you don't feel like you've measured anything yet. You're, you're obviously doing something right because people are still showing up. So ask them why they're still showing up. Yeah, I totally agree. You, you're not doing it. You wouldn't be doing it if it weren't a good idea. Like you, you, you've put, you've got enough passion about it that, that you've implemented it, which is, which says enough about it that people should be interested in it as well. At this point, you're probably just stuck reiterating your theory of change. Like, this is why we're doing this. This is what we expect to happen. And then those stories will come, right? If you're, as long as you're, you know, working, continuing to work on the mission and making sure that the implementation is correct, the stories will eventually come. And like Stacey said, you just need to be ready to receive them when you get them. And then one final thought, it doesn't always have to be an impact story. I know we love impact stories because that's what we are trained. Funders want to hear about impact. Just the origin story. How did 
how did you come into being? Why did you come into being? So back to tying into some of those, those, uh, I love like those basic things with the theory of change, but sharing that can be a really powerful story in and of itself and have other people go, wow, what a cool idea. So, uh, the good news is I don't think, I don't think this is the end of the road for you. I think it's just the beginning. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything. The podcast where hosts Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. So welcome everybody to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. You know what? I'm I feel I just gotta say this. I feel so lucky that I get to sit and talk about random nonprofit things with Stacy Wedding every two weeks. That is so cool. And I'm glad that you get to join us <laughs> and you can sort of vicariously appreciate how much I enjoy having random nonprofit conversations with Stacey. Every two weeks. I'm glad we that you fun. get to join Don't us. Don't you wish people could be like, I, I, yeah, if, if people could see us and be a fly on the wall, they'd probably, I mean, obviously we have to filter out our, our curse words or our uh, crazy, you know, crazy things we say, but for the most part, you get the real us with this. And I love it, Andy. Yeah. I love it. I always learn something from you just as a side note. So it's also like, hey, I got built in learning with this, which is pretty cool. Exactly. Exactly. It makes it makes me feel a lot smarter, which, you know, helps with the imposter syndrome. <laughs> then, right. Because I'm like, well, Stacy said it, so it must <laughs> be true. So I'm glad that we get to bring all of our nonprofit detail nerds along with us too, that everybody that's listening to this is sort of in the same. I'm, I'm the folks that I talk to that listen to the podcast are, are also sort of in that realm of, I like to just know stuff. <laughs> right? We, we want to know as much stuff as we can, which I think is really, really cool. So I'm glad you've joined us on this journey. Um, again, if you're new to the podcast, the way this works is you send us questions, you, whether it's your question, whether it's a question your mom had, whether it's a question, a really stupid question you heard somebody ask the other day and you just wanted Stacy and I to laugh at them, like whatever it is, send it in to us and we will do our best to do some research and provide you a good answer. If we can't, or if it's a question that we feel it's like really well suited for somebody else, we will find a guest expert and ask them that question. So again, the way it works is you send us the questions. If you don't send us the questions, we talk about kids and pets and nobody wants that. So send us questions. We will answer them and um, we'll be right here for you on your device every two weeks. And just a side note, I absolutely want to talk about kids and pets. So <laughs> somebody <laughs> does want to hear about kids and pets. <laughs> Okay, Andy, here's one for you. I lead an organization with an annual budget of close to $500,000. Our board has recently raised some questions about finance, and I'm wondering how best to proceed. They are wondering what level of expense should require board approval before I can purchase it for the organization. They are also wondering if this expense should be relative to the overall budget. As an example, if we needed to purchase something that represents 5% of our annual budget, is that a reasonable percentage to warrant board approval? Stacey, what, what year is it again? <laughs> Who knows? 2022, almost 2023. 2020, yeah. Okay. Because as I was hearing the question, I thought maybe we were in like 1979. <laughs> I thought... 
<laughs> I was feeling super 1979. Um, and I, I was about to put on the Saturday night fever soundtrack. <laughs> so <laughs> I love, by the way, is, I love that soundtrack. I'm sorry. That's the best. I do too. Yet. I do too. It is fantastic. Um, so <laughs> the reason I say that is that this is an artifact, an artifact, like literally an artifact from the way things used to get done. And the reason that was, is because back in 1979, the way you paid bills is that you got out the checkbook and you took a pen and you wrote with a pen on the check and then somebody signed it at the bottom and then you tore the perforation off the check. You stuffed it in an envelope. You licked a stamp. They didn't have self adhesive stamps. You licked a stamp, wow. you put it in the mail and then somebody, right. I, <laughs> can I you feel taste old, stamp? just so you know, I'm feeling really old because I can relate to yeah, yeah. Stamp. everybody that has this sense memory of the, yeah. how horrible a stamp tastes. If you ever had to do like like back when I first started, right, you'd have to do like a mailing thing, a big direct mail thing, and you'd lick hundreds uh, and hundreds of stamps. Oh, and, Remember that? And did you ever get paper cuts? <laughs> did you ever have a stamp paper cut? Yeah. Oh, tongue? yeah. From oh, not. I don't know from a stamp. I know from envelopes oh, for and sure. Then, for do you remember? Sure okay, we're, we're diverging, but this is a fun <laughs> divergence. And those of you who are much younger than we are can laugh and say you're so glad you didn't grow up when we did in this in the industry. Do you remember they had those little things you could buy at the office stores where you filled it with like liquid water just yeah. so you could use it so you didn't have to exhaust your tongue? I don't even know if those things. Yeah, like a little right. sponge, a little a little sponge thing. Yeah, yeah do they, <laughs> like do they even exist? Right? Do those even exist anymore? I'm <laughs> guessing not. Uh, somebody, I know somebody here, I swear, somebody listening has one in their desk drawer. Ooh. It's been there for 15 years. But it's still in the That's escrow. a challenge. Okay, if you have it, send us a picture. Send us a picture. <laughs> send us a picture. Um, okay, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. Okay. So, and then it would go to the mail, and then the um, the people you sent the the vendor that you purchased whatever from would go to their mailbox, take that thing out, um, stamp the check with like a rubber stamp, or sign it and write their account number on it put it in a little bank bag and then wait. And at the end of the day, they would carry that bank bag, stand in line at the bank and then make their deposit at the bank. So that's how it used to be done back then. So there's, when you think about like, how do you steal from a nonprofit, which is one of my favorite things to think about. One of the things that you can do, there are like a hundred things that you can do during that process itself to make, um, to, to steal from the nonprofit. You could make the checkout because it's no, it didn't come out of a computer. Somebody wrote the name of the vendor on it. So you could write, you know, your, your mom's name on it yeah. and send your mom the check. You could add a zero to it and make a backdoor deal with the vendor that oh, they're going to give you the extra money that you paid over and above what you're supposed to be paid. Um, in the process, somebody could um, break into your vendor's mailbox, steal it um, using an eraser erase the name of the person that it was made out to put their name in it and they could deposit the check into their account because they wrote their own name on it. Um, there's a whole bunch of fun things that they could have done back then. You could, um, you could completely wash the check, change the dollar amount and the event, the, um, who it was made out to, and you could put it in somebody's random account for a huge amount of money. So, and there's the only barriers to that were like human barriers. So the only way that we prevented the person that's writing the check from writing the check to their mom was by having somebody else look at the check to make sure that it was okay before it went out the door. And the way they did that is somebody would look at the check and then they would there would be maybe two signatures on the check. You'd see a check with two signatures on it because that second person would then verify, yes, this is the vendor. Yes, this is the amount. 
yes, this is the right date. Yes, I see an invoice that matches all of this stuff. So I'm approving this by, by signing this check as well, right? And then that's a lot of work. And so somebody would put in, so, t- you know, I don't really care if it's a check for $25. I don't care if you wrote it to your mom. We'll catch it later. It's not a big deal. I only want to look at the ones that are over $1,000 or $2,500 or $5,000. Yeah. And then it's the executive direct. And then, and then on top of that, you start building these weird structures. Like once you've got that in place, then people start to riff on it. And it's like the board says, well, you know, the, the CFO is going to sign them at up to 5,000 and we're going to have a second signature if it's between five and 25, but 25, is such a big number that has to go to the board and we need a board <laughs> signature on that one. Right. So, so they put in these sort of arcane additional things up on top of it just because they feel like they've forgotten the reason for it. Like they don't know why they do it. They just know that it's a process that they've had and they're trying to make the process stronger. Well, fast forward to what, not even 2022, but fast forward to 1987. And we've got computers that are now printing the checks. We've got these things called ACHs, which deposit things directly into a bank account. We've got check scanners. So we don't have to physically go to the bank anymore. We've got this thing called positive pay, which I know I've talked about on the podcast before, but I'll talk about that again, which is where when you write a check, you notify the bank. This is the vendor. This is the check number. This is the amount. Only pay that. If any of those things vary from what came out of my computer, don't pay it. So there's all these other additional barriers now that are in place that take the place of everything that we needed to have all of these additional signatures and things for like you don't need any of those anymore and i i work with nonprofits all the time and they've got this arcane you know they talk about their po process we got this po <laughs> process and it's got the you know we have to all do a, and i always say how come and they say well 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 <laughs> and they never have like a great answer <laughs> Like there was just how we do it. And they know they're not to me. You don't say that. You don't say, well, that's how we do it. Or you don't say, yeah, we've always done it that way because you know what my next words are going to be yeah. um, swear words. So <laughs> the, so all of those things, all of those processes around making sure that people are not stealing money from you that involve checks are all probably outdated. So to answer the question, <laughs> finally, after a 20 minute, I don't know, comedy routine, um, to answer the question, no, the board, like the answer to the whole question is no, <laughs> the board doesn't need to be involved. There is no percentage. There's no dollar amount. So if your board, the, the only time that the board should be in, and, and so let's take it back one more step too, is why does the board have a role in approving expenses as they go out the door? That's not what their job is. Nope. If anything, their job is to approve the budget when you create a budget and they give, they're giving you as the executive director and the staff, they're giving you the authority to execute the budget they approved. If you're doing something over and above the budget, yeah, maybe you want to bring your board in so that you don't surprise them at the end of the year. You want to like be a little proactive about, by the way, we're going to be 50 grand over. So let's talk about that before I do it. But if it's in the budget, they already approved it. Why are they approving again? And so, um, you know, you want to bring Stacy and I in to yell at your boards. We're happy to do that. These are, I mean, these are our archaic processes that, that really. And I think it's, it, it trickles down Andy, because you see these archaic processes and someone probably served on another board where this happened. And so then it's just like, Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Like, so it just keeps repeating itself. The pattern, instead of anyone going back again to that simple question, you said, why, why are we doing this? What is this accomplishing? Is this our role? So, I mean, the other thing that it jumps out at me with this is back to your point. It is that the board is really kind of overstepping. I, they probably don't even realize they are because they're like, oh, we have this fiduciary duty. Well, 
it's at a much higher level than something like this. And back to, yeah, the fiduciary duty is you approve the budget every year. And you, you know, if you have an executive director who can't manage to the budget, that's a performance issue in another discussion. But um, yeah, but I, but I feel like maybe there's some room here for also just kind of a refresh for the board because this is where boards get into trouble all the time where they think they're helping. I, I, I truly think they, they are coming from a good place of thinking they're helping or thinking that this is their job. So let me get into this. Ooh, let's set up a policy around this. And, and gosh, let's, let's use their time where it should be spent and at higher level issues. That's why they hired you as the executive director. You get to make those decisions. Yeah. And, and just sort of to, to be less snarky about the whole thing too, like you're going to have to explain this to your board, right? And, and you can't do it the way I did it. I don't, well, you, can, you could. You know, I'll, you I'm could. happy to do it Andy, the way. Andy, this, this, the I'm person who wrote but... this could literally play this. <laughs> so just play this podcast for the board and say, hey. <laughs> But, but so, so you probably want to go in with a little bit of a, maybe a softer sell than that. And, and you can explain that, for example, the, 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 the check signing the multiple signatures and the approval of particular things is, is not something that's typically within the board's role. As Stacy just said, it's supposed to be done at the budget stage. Um, if you don't, you know, if you don't trust that we're on budget, maybe you need to have budget to actual reports delivered to the board more frequently. So if you if you really are like having liquidity challenges and the board's really concerned about money going out the door, maybe that's why they're sensitive about this. Maybe you have to do a monthly budget to actual so they can keep track of where they are. Think about cash position, doing a cash flow report to sort of show where you are with cash. Um, and then maybe they just don't realize that the, you know, if you don't have positive pay, and again, what positive pay is, it's something that you set up with your bank so that when you do a check run, you do a check run and you print out a report that you then upload to your bank. And the bank then, because then they have the check number, the amount, and the vendor, they know who's getting that check and they can check it. They can check the check <laughs> when it comes back through so that if none of those things match when they want to pay out to the other bank, they can say, these don't match um, and they won't pay the check. So that sort of prevents that fraud from that perspective. So get positive pay set up and that gives you sort of another arrow in your quiver to say, well, you know, you're not really solving anything with this extra signature because we have this other tool that does it much more effectively. And plus, like for those of us that had to do it, there's nothing more delightful than having to track down a board member at 458 <laughs> on a Friday, like driving to your office and trying to figure out where to park <laughs> and going up to the 11th floor to get you to sign a check because it's for $25,000 and one cent. One of the things, just so board members that are listening, one of the things we used to do is we would tell a vendor, no, don't make it for $25,000. Can you make it for $24,999? So I don't have to go through this extra process. And vendors are like, oh, sure. Right. And so you're just, we're going around you anyway. In a lot of cases when we can. <laughs> Look at you, you sneaky guy. Oh my gosh. I love that. Though. But we shouldn't have yeah, to do should. it. We shouldn't have to. Don't make us, don't make us cheat you. Come on. What? You know what? I'm actually thinking I might want to I might want to send this link in a very uh, kind of nonchalant way to some of the boards I work with, because I know that their staff will be like, I have to connect with this board member to get these signatures. And I, I'm just like, what? This is it's crazy, it is crazy town. town so. I'm a longtime employee of an organization that's currently undergoing some transitions, including finding a new executive director. Is there an appropriate way for staff to share our thoughts on what skills we think the new executive director should have since we're boots on the ground? 
employee voice. That's what I hear. Employees wanting a voice. And I think this is becoming more and more common these days of employees wanting to be able to provide that feedback because they get to work with this person all the time. So I think the short answer is it really depends on your board and what, if and how they choose to involve staff, right? Because this is a board responsibility, hiring, evaluating, if they ever have to, firing an executive director. So that lies squarely in their roles and responsibilities. So I have seen some boards that very much want to bring staff into a process and might then in in that case, absolutely, right? You would have hopefully an open forum to do that. Um, But you have to realize at the end of the day, it isn't formally staff's role. So, So I'd love to answer this question from thinking about it from more of a board perspective. If you happen to be on a board and you're listening to this, Um, I think there's room and it's about being really thoughtful about how and when you get staff feedback about the person or the position you're hiring. Because if you don't position it the right way as a board, the staff then almost expects that or assumes that they play a larger role in the hiring process than they do. And it can really confuse and muddy roles. So you have to be clear as a board, listen, Um, you know, in part of our governance role and looking out for the long-term well-being for this organization, we're going, we're, you know, executing on a search and we're doing an ED search as part of that process. We would love people's feedback. And so I've seen some boards do things where like they'll have little focus group or like mini kind of like, depending on the size of the organization, little mini convenings with staff just saying, what do you, what do you think? Like, what are the top qualities that you think could help this organization and, it, you know, for in its next executive director, um, you know, is there something that you think and, and not making it a bashing of the one that just left because, right, that's the first thing that happens. Staff are like, right. not this, not that, right? <laughs> um, you know, uh, in order to do my best work or your best work as a staff member, what what do you need? What, what do you need from your new boss? Um, so, like, those kinds of things, I think you can do that by survey. I think you can do it. I, I, you can do it by, like I said, some kind of focus group or it doesn't have to be that formal, but just conversation. I also think like then as a board, you sort of take all of that, gather it. Sometimes surveys are easier because people are more comfortable being anonymous with that kind of feedback. So you could kind of take all of that anonymously, roll it up into a summary, share it back with staff and just say, hey, here's what we heard you say. Is there anything we got off mark or that's missing? And sort of just having it like that and say, we are going to use this as part of our guiding tool as we're looking forward. And so it still keeps the board in the role of authority and decision making, but it absolutely gives staff a voice. And I'm a huge proponent of it because being a staff member where, you know, before of a nonprofit where they bring in a new leader, I, I was like, yeah, I, I want to be able to give some feedback on this, even if it isn't my role. So uh, I don't know if that helps. That doesn't really help you as a staff be able to, um, like, if your board doesn't come to you and ask you, uh, you know, you're kind of stuck. I, I don't know, Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's that is probably one of the most stressful things when you're an employee of an organization and the board is going to pick a new executive director. 
And then because you you have you have no voice in something that's going to have a, a really significant impact on the work that the organization does for the next like X number of years, <laughs> like yeah. maybe a short period of time if they did a bad job or a long period of time if they did a good job. So having but I, I it's rare. It's really rare to see a board reach back out to the staff and say, you know, what do you want? What kind of person should we be hiring? Because it's almost like they don't feel like the staff you know, to your point, it's not the staff's responsibility. It's, it's like literally the board's, one of the board's only responsibilities. So, so like the staff is never really, never really part of it. I think it would be interesting. So, so to kind of answer the question, like as a staff member, how would you approach, like, what would you do to make sure that you had a voice in it? I think it would be, I don't think it would be out of place to, if you've still got your existing executive director there, if that person hasn't left yet, I don't think it would be out of place to have a conversation with your current ED and say, the staff would like to know how we can participate in the hiring process for the new executive director. Because what you don't want to do is like call board members just, you know, for fun. And just have conversations because that's, it's, I mean, it's just kind of inappropriate. You need to, the conduit needs to be the executive director. Maybe there's an interim person there that, that you can talk to, or, or maybe the person left and then somebody on the board has been designated as like the staff contact. Like there's somebody that's a, a board member that's like sort of interim in charge until they actually hire somebody. So making your, like, I would have a conversation with that person and say, you know, the staff feels like that we should have some sort of voice in this new upcoming process. Is there a, is there something that you think we could possibly do or would it be appropriate for us to present something to the, the hiring committee to say, you know, having, having been the people that are closest to this organization, here's where we see our challenges are. Here's where we see the opportunities are. And we'd like you to keep this in mind when hiring, because what you're never going to be able to do is be on the committee. They're not going to put staff members. I've never seen that. And I don't even know. I mean, I guess it it could be appropriate. There wouldn't, I can't think of a reason why you, you like, there would be no like official, like legal reason not to do it. I think it's really uncommon, but it's interesting to think about. I'd love to hear if anybody actually does that too. It's, I, I I have mixed feelings. I mean, probably more toward the negative on that because I think it, unless it depends so much on that person, right? They've got to be mature enough and understand their role enough and also be able to understand they and the staff might have something they really like a person they really want or qualities they really want and not that person may not get chosen. And they, and so it's gotta be that person who can handle that. Right. And so I think if it was, yeah. and does that person is they, are they kind of the voice of all staff or is it more of a singular? So, so it's not that it couldn't work. Cause I agree with you, Andy, it'd be an interesting mix, that person would just have to be really emotionally intel- high EQ, right? Very emotionally intelligent, very mature. Uh, you know, and one of my experiences just on a personal level was years ago when I was kind of, I was a senior level position at a nonprofit. And when they were bringing in the new leader or they had narrowed it down to two candidates and they had the two candidates actually meet with me like one-on-one, not like an interview, but just sort of, hey, like get to know each other. And then the the board and the search committee asked me my thoughts and what I, I liked it. Selfishly, I loved it, right? I loved being able to have, at least be able to share my opinion. What I 
felt bad about was nobody else in the organization got asked that. So it, it put me in sort of this weird position as a staff member now, as the person who got special favored treatment because the board was scared I might leave if it's not the right next leader. And so it just, right, that puts the other person, like the staff member in a really weird position because everyone's like, well, why did you get to do that? And I didn't. Are you more important? And so that can get sticky too. So there's a lot of nuances with it, but I do think we need to figure out how we, but I mean, buck the trend of these old fashioned ways of doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, think about what you, what your actual outcomes are supposed to be. Like, what are you trying to do? And it's, and it really is crazy that the people that know the most about the organization have the least yeah. voice in this particular process. That feels, that feels backwards to me. Nice. One of the, you know, if, if, even if you don't have a voice, one good thing to remember is there's, there's research that shows that when an organization has a leadership change, like performance increases regardless of how terrible the leader is. So there's always like a little bit of a performance bump and it's probably, you know, they, we don't know why, but the, the, the suspicion is, is that everybody's trying to impress the new boss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they take it up a little bit. So and maybe if you could figure out if that some way to make that uh, make you feel better about the whole thing, I guess that would, but yeah, I feel like we're not, I feel like we're not giving the greatest answer to this question. We want it to be a different way, but I don't know how it would I be. Don't, yeah. Like if this was a board member asking this question about how do we involve staff, it'd be a lot easier, which is why yeah. I, I feel like it'd be a totally question, different right? answer. It'd be a totally different <laughs> answer. I do think though, Andy, your point is really well taken about, yeah, like if there is an interim, there's got to be, hopefully there's somebody, whether it's your existing ED or an interim that can kind of relay that message, uh, I've even seen an organization once that I had worked with had an HR consultant that was kind of that that liaison for staff on issues of concern or top of mind. And that HR consultant had access to, um, you know, to the CEO and executive director, but also on these kind of rare occasions to the board. So, like, if there's someone like that in your organization, I, I know that it's just hard. Like, at the end of the day, yeah, if you go straight to the board, it's not appropriate. So I have this picture in my mind right now, Andy, that's probably going to be really random and might even make you giggle. Do I have you in suspense? Yes. Okay. I am picturing myself at the corner of a boxing ring, like Rocky, standing victoriously. Yes, I just knocked out all these questions. That is my visual. (laughs) I like it. I like I, it. It I, makes us feel like we did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I know that's pretty cheesy, but Rocky's been on my mind. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid, just side note. And I also love boxing, which surprises the heck out of people. I love, I love grown men beating the snot out of each other. Anyway, so there's a little random note about Stacy, but uh, no. <laughs> and, and I got to go stand in Rocky's footsteps at, in Philadelphia recently. So, you know, this is all on my mind. But with that said, uh, hopefully we knocked it out of the park for you today. And again, you knock it out of the park for us all the time with your questions, your engagement, and uh, sharing this with your friends, your colleagues, and everyone in between. So thank you for being a listener. Keep on listening. Please find us, share us, and ask us your questions. NonprofitEverything.com is one of the best ways to go check out past episodes. And if you missed one, it's all right. It's uh, all broken down for you on the website. So just go find it and uh, take a re-listen. So thanks again.